welcome back to Russian Roulette, the podcast from the Europe, Russia, and Eurasian program at the Center for Strategic International Studies. I'm your host, Heather Conley. In this episode of Russian Roulette, I have the privilege of sitting down with the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Lithuania, Linus Linkevich, as well as David Kramer, who is a senior fellow in the Vaclav Havel program of Human Rights and Democracy at Florida International University. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, so many events happening in Belarus since August 9th, when presidential elections were held, protests, opposition leaders taken into custody and jailed, and violence against protesters. We now have a major geopolitical event on NATO's borders. We are helped in understanding these important implications with our two guests. Let's get started. Welcome back to Russian Roulette, the podcast from the Europe, Russia, and Eurasian program at the Center for Strategic International Studies. I'm your host, Heather Conley. In this episode of Russian Roulette, I have the great privilege of sitting down with the Minister of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Lithuania, Linus Linkevich, and David Kramer, who is a senior fellow in the Vaclav Havel program at Florida International University. Thank you both for joining us. Minister, I want to immediately turn to you. Opposition leader Svetlana Tsikhanouskaya told the European Parliament on August the 25th that a peaceful revolution is underway, that this was about uh, having a free and fair election, the basic dignity of the Belarusian people is at stake. Could you help us understand what exactly is happening in Belarus today? Two opposition leaders were just given a 10-day jail sentence. What's happening? Help our viewers and our readers understand the internal dynamics today. Yeah, thank you for opportunity. Definitely, I'll try to do that as, as clear as it is possible, although it's not easy task, because situation is still quite tense. I would consider that now it's kind of pause between something what could happen, unfortunately could happen, also not very peaceful. What I mean, now it's contemplation process by outgoing leadership. Number one still believes that he was elected. He probably believes that he has license to solve the problem and of solution we all were witnessing recently, this brutality, cruelty, probably even allegedly crimes were committed against the citizens, intimidations and everything what was never before to that extent. So he, I'm, I'm afraid, ready to go to the end, to this political and moral stalemate and leading uh, behind also all country. And unfortunately, through this, uh, he is uh, destroying all remainings of sovereignty and independence of that country. So this is uh, up to him, but surroundings probably hesitating. We feel some symptoms that people also considering what to do. So this is uh, as far as the leadership in Belarus has to discuss. The revolution definitely peaceful because those protesters are extremely peaceful. Uh, they are not smashing windows, they are not uh, burning cars, they even when before climbing on the bench, uh, taking off shoes. These photos uh, were also circulated and I'd like to say that they're extremely peaceful with the flowers and, you know, to send riot police against them, it's really madness, but that was done. And as I said, this is quite uh, disturbing. Also, stakeholders uh, is among them is Russia, definitely. 
And uh, Russia was publicly uh, asked for even military assistance, and Lukashenko talked about that publicly, not once. Uh, they were making some pause, and then there were comments that it's not appropriate. It's not kind of no, no reasons for that. At least rhetoric was like this. It's really good, because I believe Russia, uh, they have no reason, moral, legal, military, whatever, intervene, because no, no external threat. Although Lukashenko continues to talk about external threat, about the challenging their borders, sovereignty, integrity, talking about NATO danger, which is by far nothing to do with reality, but for domestic use, he's using this terminology. So I'm coming back to the way my first so to see point that this is kind of pause. The leadership still think what to do. Uh, Russia hesitates whether to support uh, this compromised leader, and I really believe that Russia hesitating can probably they would prefer to, to have somebody else instead, because it's already too many problems for Russia itself, as we know, there's uh, uh, problems in Khabarovsk, in other places. Now this is a very strange timing of poisoning of Alexei Navalny in the shadow of events in Belarus. They do not need additional problems, uh, although, you know, we never know, but I, I hope that they also would prefer something like going out of the situation. This uh, peaceful resistance means that they are not seizing power, although accused, but they really would like to have decent process of uh, leading to democratic process and leading to new, uh, new transparent elections. Uh, actually, something I, I believe we have to support all of us. And this electoral council, which was established under the leadership of Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, she's in Lithuania now, also uh, needs, uh, they are demanding not, not too much, I believe. They really uh, not uh, seizing power, just asking for the dialogue, uh, which will lead to these new elections. And Tikhanovskaya herself, although somebody called her as uh, president-elect, but she said that she's not a president. And by the way, she has no intention even to run for the presidency. But she believes that she became a national leader now, she, and she feels this uh, weight of responsibility and uh, enormous support by the people, so, so she would like to be helpful and uh, facilitate this process which will lead to the new elections. So in short, uh, I'd like to say that we definitely cannot intervene and have no idea to intervene into domestic affairs, although always blamed for that. But we cannot stay ignorant, so to say, and impartial when people are abused and even probably crimes were committed. So we have to issue sanctions, and I'm really advocating for that uh, European solution. I believe national uh, sanctions also would be appropriate. It would be very important that United States will also do something like that. That's least we can do. Also, we have to say that we do not recognize elections. Consequently, we cannot recognize this president who still pretends to be president, and he really has to look into reality, although I doubt he's capable to do that, but I hope that Strong messages of this assessment of the station could help to clarify the situation because now they are, as I said, hesitating. And I'm afraid violence not excluded and, and bloodshed also not excluded. Intervention, for whatever reason, also not excluded, although doubtful as I, as I, as I hope. So in short, this is a picture because I can talk long, but I believe we have not much time. <laughs> Minister, no, that was an, an incredible overview. Thank you so much. David, let me turn to you and just offer any reflections on what you're seeing uh, in the situation, this pause. I would argue perhaps the minister is suggesting this is the calm before a new coming storm. What's your take? 
first, Heather, thanks very much for, for having us. And, and let me also take this opportunity to praise Lithuania for the tremendous support it has provided Belarus, not just in this latest crisis, but for many years in offering hope and inspiration to the people of Belarus who have been fighting for a better, brighter, more democratic future. And the minister himself, I think, has played a critical role both vis-a-vis uh, -vis Lithuania and Belarus, but also in EU discussions about what the EU should do. So huge uh, credit and, and also civil society in Lithuania, including the uh, office when I was at Freedom House that we set up there. Uh, Vitas Yukonis has done a tremendous job. So, so I salute Lithuania on that. Uh, just to add to what the minister said, this crisis was precipitated and sparked by Lukashenko's effort to steal the August 9th presidential election. But the problems go back much further. We are talking about 26 years of corrupt authoritarian rule. And just in this year alone, we have seen Lukashenko dismiss the concerns about the coronavirus pandemic, where he was offered crazy theories about taking a sauna, drinking vodka as the way to deal with it. Um, he has shown horrible leadership. He has put Belarus in a very vulnerable position in terms of dependence on Russia for its economy. 75% of the economy is in state hands. He has grossly mismanaged the situation. And the people of Belarus have had enough. And that's why they reacted positively when Svetlana Tikhonovskaya, the wife of a person who tried to register, her husband was denied registration, thrown in prison. She stepped up and ran on a campaign in which she said, I wanna have new elections after the August 9th election within six months. So Linus is right that she doesn't have these presidential ambitions. She wants to lead a transition. And I think that's something that the, the West should strongly support while also trying to make the point very clear that these protests are about Belarus. It's not about some geopolitical competition, Russia versus the West or NATO and the EU versus the CSTO and the Eurasian Economic Union. This is about Belarus and the people of Belarus standing up and speaking up and demanding change after these two decades and a half plus of terrible mismanaged leadership. Let's talk a bit more about the Russian role in this. And I think, again, Svetlana Tsikhanouskaya said very clearly, again, before the European Parliament, that this is not a pro or anti-Russian movement. This is not an anti-EU or a pro-EU issue. This is about democracy. This is a democratic revolution. And I would argue that is the revolution that frightens the Kremlin the most. Yet it seems to me, you're right, Minister, Russia has to contemplate how long it will support Lukashenko, if it will start looking at other alternatives, if it sees a change coming to preserve its own interests in Belarus. Uh, lots of phone calls, lots of appeals by Lukashenko, but yet very undecided. This is a very uncertain Kremlin. Minister, what are you sensing of Russia's sort of future approach to this, particularly if there is, heaven forbid, more violence against the peaceful protesters? Yeah, yeah, indeed. But we know already current uh, Russian behavior, unfortunately, not very productive and peaceful and definitely not rational. So in uh, whatever region we will take, uh, and this is annexation of Crimea or before that occupation of 20% of Georgian territory, let me just remind they always, instead of managing crisis, they're creating crisis. And through that crisis, they're trying to control the situation and to influence so they are definite stakeholders and still, as we all know, 
considering these neighboring countries as backyard or sphere of influence, whatever we can call. So definitely they will do the utmost not to lose Belarus as clear as it is. Uh, just the one exception, as I said, maybe not with that leader, I, I presume, because it's too de detrimental. So they would like to use some other option, and maybe maybe I'm, I'm naively <laughs> mistaken, but maybe they would not exclude even new elections uh, at the end of the day, because if they will continue assist this compromised leader till his uh, total stalemate, that would be counterproductive for, for them also back home, I believe, which, which is already becoming quite problematic. So... Russian role will be decisive. Also, I, I presume that this uh, pressure, what was before, uh, pressure to Belarus, because of this uh, uh, so-called two-state union agreement, which is being implemented for 20 years, and this pressure was enormous lately, I will believe it will be even increased because of vulnerability of that country. But this is caused by the actions of outgoing leadership, and they cannot blame anyone. Although they were talking about sovereignty, about independence, but as I said, destroying remainings of these uh, every day in our eyes. And by the way, even a strange moment, if we remember these strange uh, events with the mercenaries of Wagner, uh, when there were hints about Russian influence and something like that, that they are uh, creating kinds of tensions. But then the uh, Russian president was among first, number two to be precise, congratulating Lukashenko with the victory. And then this uh, request for assistance from Russia demasked, I would say, all this propaganda immediately. And that was very difficult to believe that somebody is intervening. So uh, Russia's role will remain decisive, as I said. And uh, how they will act, how they will proceed, uh, it's, it's very important. So clear messaging is, is, is uh, utmost importance. We talked about that with uh, Steve Began yesterday in Vilnius. Uh, today he's in Moscow. I believe uh, he will also send the message, appropriate message uh, to, to Moscow. So let's jointly do something. We'll lead out of this stalemate situation for this country. And all only the people of Belarus will decide what they will do. Nobody can tell. Not, neither us or Russians. Maybe they will choose another leadership will, will be close to Russia. God knows. Maybe will be no, no revolution here. But we, we cannot live with this situation. And we cannot come back to the dialogue, that's my important point, uh, to the Lukashenko calming down everything and pretending that nothing special happened and we continue a cooperation and dialogue with this leader who is really, I believe, dismissed himself by the actions. It should be clearly said that it's no go. He's former president. He's gone. It's political statement, of course. Legally, it's not, not yet. It's coming soon, in the beginning of September. But he's gone, and that should be clearly said. Yeah, David, I want to talk to you. You've, you're a seasoned veteran of this conversation with Lukashenko and, you know, incredibly flawed elections that we recover and we keep on going. Uh, and I think Lukashenko was, quite frankly, banking on that repeat. And it seems to me there's now been a decisive break. I'd wonder to offer your comments uh, based on what the minister just remarked. How do you move away from non-recognition? And basically, Lukashenko is no longer really the, the legitimate leader of Belarus. How do you move that conversation forward? And then I'd also love your thoughts about Russia as well. There were reports, video clips of Russian National Guard vehicles entering Belarus. They were never substantiated. Could we see sort of covert assistance to Belarusian riot police and the security services to buttress them if, in fact, the Kremlin would make a decision that they are going to support Lukashenko um, as president? 
I, I think the main concern, Heather, is the insertion of little green men in various forms, if you will. We've already seen uh, Russian TV personalities replace Belarusian state TV presenters who resigned out of protest in principle. We've seen uh, several planes flying from Moscow, presumably bringing in experts on dealing with crowds and other kinds of things. So there is already a Russian penetration. And, and let's remember, the Russians weren't starting from zero either. Lukashenko has welcomed a Russian presence. It's been hot and cold, to be clear, but for the most part has made his country more vulnerable and exposed to Russia than he would claim. We also face the dilemma where we look at Putin's interests versus what should be in Russia's national interest. You're absolutely right that Putin does not want to see a like-minded leader pushed out of power by popular protests demanding better democracy and better accountability. At the same time, Russia should recognize that propping up a leader like Lukashenko could turn what has been a protest that is not anti-Russian in the least into a protest that includes some anti-Russian sentiment. Certainly uh, any military moves by Russia would generate, I think, a very strong backlash inside Belarus, possibly some strong resistance. So Russia is in a difficult situation, I would argue. I know some people would argue they like the current unstable situation. I, I think they, they are concerned that Lukashenko is crazy. They're just some of the videos and, and pictures we've seen in the past few days with him in military uniform, his son dressed up, all ready to go indicate that he may be getting increasingly desperate. His calls for the army to come in and put down the protests is not something that Moscow, I think, wants to see. So I, I hope that during his visit to Moscow, Deputy Secretary of State Steve Began is able to convey to Moscow that actually what would be in Russia's interest would be to facilitate Lukashenko's departure, to allow him into Russia so that the people of Belarus can then hold new free and fair elections and decide their own leaders. That may, as Lena said, that may sound very naive, but frankly, that is actually what would be serving Russia's interests best in order to try to stabilize the situation in its western border. It's such a contrast because I, I think it's really been the Kremlin's approach, honestly, since uh, 2011 and the Arab awakening, that there will be no regime change on President Putin's watch. And whether that's Syria, Libya, Venezuela, uh, one closer to home is even more challenging. Although we have the example of Armenia, uh, which many point out may be sort of a, a similar type of effort. Minister, let me turn to the EU's response to this situation. Obviously, last week's meeting, which began uh, with a process of the EU starting to list uh, individuals that were participating in both the fraudulent elections as well as the, the violence against those peaceful protesters. Tell us where that is and where you're thinking as you're heading into the foreign minister's gathering on the, the 27th, 28th of August. Carl Bildt uh, was quoted as saying, the EU hasn't done much, which I think is the right thing to do. He was arguing that you shouldn't be too forward-leaning. Clearly, you have been a strong advocate for a more forward-leaning posture. What do you want to get out of the upcoming EU foreign minister's meeting vis-a-vis -vis Belarus? No, coming meeting is gimmick meeting, and those who know what that means, it's informal, change of views, no decisions taken, it's just measuring temperature, where we are, what we're doing. And we have a strategic discussion among ministers, just only without uh, advisors, uh, Belarus, Russia, uh, Turkey, so this is really, uh, agenda is not boring at all. 
And what I expect? I expect that we will reinforce what we started because the foreign ministers met in Foreign Affairs Council. We agreed in principle to start process with the sanctions. We also I had proposal and happy that my colleagues supported that EU must establish fund for victims of repressions. We really can do that. We can find sources. By the way, the European Commission will mobilize now additional 53 million euros to support the Russian people in challenging times, like 2 million to assist victims of repression. As I said, uh, unacceptable state violence, 1 million to support civil society, independent media, and also there are considerations to support them to fight with coronavirus. So there are a lot of ideas. So we have to continue along these this lines. And as I said, sanctions, support of civil society is exactly what we, what we would like to do. And uh, what I would like to see, uh, more speedy process, because usually European Union, as, as we all know, quite sophisticated mechanism takes time. When we are doing something, sometimes it's too little, sometimes it's too late. So I, I, I hope that we will come to some uh, agreement that uh, time is also important and will speed up the process as well. And the scope of this measure is also, also this is not the, the least importance. I mean, number of those listed. Uh, we're talking about individual sanctions, by the way. We're not talking about uh, economic sanctions, not to harm people, but to keep accountable those who were guilty for these events. Basically, force structures, KGB, riot police leadership, interior leadership, electoral committee leadership who have stolen these elections from the people. So this, this is exactly what we are doing, and I hope we will exchange and compare notes on, this, on these issues. Yeah, Ministry, absolutely. Sorry. Yes, the Gimnick is an informal uh, conversation, but I think you're absolutely right. The issues that the EU foreign ministers are facing are significant from, from Belarus to what's happening in the Eastern Mediterranean. And I think those informal conversations are so vital to help shape future thinking. David, it seems to me that the U.S. has been silent on this issue. There hasn't been much coming out of the White House. Secretary Pompeo was in the region, of course, last week. Uh, had said some statements. And of course, Steve Began's visit, very, very important. I don't mean to understate that. But we're not seeing uh, sanctions. We're not seeing robust policy coordination necessarily with the EU. What's your uh, thinking and reflections on what U.S. policy has done since August the 10th on, on this issue? Well, Secretary Pompeo did issue a, a decent statement on August 10th, the day after the election, saying it was neither free nor fair. But since then has gone largely silent. He gave a speech in Prague last week in which he didn't mention Belarus at all. He then did some interviews to try to fix that. You're right that uh, Deputy Secretary Began's visit is very important. I wish it had happened a week ago when there was greater momentum on the side of the protests. I, I think it is a mistake for the EU and the US to be taking the reserve position that it has. Carl Bildt is right that we don't want to make this into a competition between the West and Russia. But at the same time, the people out in the streets of Minsk and other cities in Belarus want to hear from their European neighbors and colleagues and from the United States. I don't want to see scenes in Minsk that we saw in 2009 in Iran where the protesters in Iran were saying, Obama, which side do you want? I don't want them to hold up signs saying Merkel or Trump or whomever, which side do you want? So we should make it clear, one, that we don't recognize the results of the election, two, that we call for new free and fair election, three, an end to torture and abuse of protesters and peaceful uh, demonstrators, uh, three, humanitarian support, as Lena said, for those who have been 
brutally injured by the, the authorities. And then I think most importantly, we have to say Lukashenko needs to go because all the hope of the people out in the streets, all the hope that we have seen derived from what's happening in Belarus will disappear if Lukashenko stays on the scene and stays in power. He's got to go. He's forfeited his right to stay there through stealing an election, his orders for authorities to crack down so brutally the way they did. I've watched these elections for many years. I was in the State Department when we imposed sanctions in 2006 following the presidential election. Then I watched it from 2010 where new sanctions were imposed. This time is worse than those. So I don't understand the hesitation on the part of the West to move forward quickly with sanctions, targeted sanctions, not against the population, but targeted sanctions against officials to send a very clear signal which side we're on. David, Minister Ankevich, thank you so much. Thank you for your insights, your passion for this issue. We are going to watch very closely as we are in this pause, this critical moment, uh, and transatlantic solidarity on this issue is going to be so important. But thank you both so much for being with us today. Thank you as well. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's it for our show today. We'll provide a link to our guest bios in the show notes. And you can follow the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Linus Linkevich, on his Twitter handle, at LinkevichL. And for those of you who haven't already considered, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Tell us how we did. And if you're not an iUse user, check out the podcast and subscribe via Google Play. Again, keep spreading the word about Russian roulette. Follow our program on Twitter at CSIS Russia and at CSIS Europe. Finally, special thanks to everyone who worked so hard to make Russian Roulette possible. Thanks so much to our research associate and program manager, Roxana Gabindulina, and our entire external relations and iLab team. Thanks all for listening. Stay safe and healthy. 